Okay, well, good day. Welcome to all of you on this webinar on how to navigate staffing shortages with capacity planning. Outsourcing of all sorts of techniques and frankly, capacity planning inside your firms has been a big concern for me over multiple years. It was aggravated, I think, by the COVID pandemic, but it's become very obvious uh, to us that uh, without automation, the only short-term solution and potentially long-term solution to staffing is doing some outsourcing work along the way. So we're going to talk about several different things in this light. We're going to examine the impact of the staffing shortage in the financial sector. We're going to talk to you about how to develop and uh, attract and retain talent. We're also going to categorize the attributes of a talent team provider that's the best fit for your firm. And we're going to talk about a specific provider as, a, as an example called TOA Global that really helps firms build global teams and navigate the talent shortages. Now, as we've watched the great resignation and the great retirement occur, we've been watching the staffing shortages across bookkeeping and accounting professional firms of all sizes. and in 40 plus years of doing this work in C the CPA profession, I have never seen it as severe as it is right now. But you're on the front line, so you probably feel it more so than even I do as I've tried to uh, help firms navigate this. Well, I am Randy Johnston out of Hutchinson, Kansas, have uh, consulted in the CPA profession for uh, over 40 years and have been speaking for uh, about that same amount of time, a little longer actually, on the top 25 thought leader list from 2011 through 2022 and uh, on the Accounting Today top 100 list from 2004 through 2021 was nominated for 22. So we'll see how that comes out. But uh, I was inducted in the Accounting Hall of Fame in 2011 write consistently for the CPA practice advisor, and I'm the uh, author of six books. I am fortunate to have as a guest today, uh, Nick Sinclair from TOA Global. Uh, the company operates out of uh, the Australia region and Philippines and several other places around the world. So I've got Nick very early in the morning today for this particular broadcast. So Nick, good day and welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Pleased to have you along. Is there stuff that you, items you'd like our attendees to know? No, I think, I mean, I ran an accounting and financial planning firm. It was my passion for 15 years. And then I moved into helping firms build global talent and, and that was probably I'm one of everyone else. I, I've been through the trenches like, like every other accounting and financial planning and bookkeeping business, and it's it's not hasn't been easy in the last few years. But um, we understand, I suppose, the journey that you're on. Yeah, super, Nick. Well, thank you. I appreciate you uh, being with us today, and for all of you attending, we'll go back and forth with Nick. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to know the founders of several uh, groups like his uh, TOA Global. And the insights that they have from being on the front lines are particularly valuable as I would see it. Now, uh, the CPE Day broadcast is uh, produced by the DevMatics organization that builds custom software and mobile apps and integration solutions, uh, as well as custom enterprise software. So they also make mobile apps and other items that can solve business problems. 
Uh, today's CPE Today podcast is available for you uh, at no charge. We actually twice a week produce these podcasts, trying to bring you the greatest technology, latest accounting, latest business knowledge. And our podcasts offer reviews and analysis and training on topics from mobile apps to Excel tutorials. We broadcast to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and more. And we typically are live at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time on Tuesdays and Fridays, a little bit later today to accommodate Nick out of Australia. So thank you for uh, your uh, tolerance on us getting started, as well as uh, this time shift. So um, for CPE credits today, it's super simple. Uh, you know, by attending, you can take the uh, examination questions as they occur, uh, or the short five question quiz that follows. We'll supply a CPE certificate for you through our uh, business K2 enterprises. You're welcome to download the materials. Hopefully, there's uh, useful content in there that you can use multiple times. You can also ask uh, either myself or our guest questions as you'd like today. And uh, information on this course is at cpe.cx slash TOA1. So if this is your first podcast, by the way, you're welcome to get your CPE credits for no charge. Just use the coupon code one free podcast. And during the time today, we will be taking attendance about every 12 to 20 minutes. There's four in this hour we're together. When the prompt comes up, simply select a response to confirm your attendance and the system will track your response. And choosing a response will confirm your attendance and engagement with the event. The attendance prompts may not be announced. Uh, they may be. Just keep an eye out for them. And you will get uh, your completion certificate and email uh, later today. But you have to respond to 75% of the attendance prompts to receive full credit. Uh, and we ask you to uh, visit CPE today uh, if you have any questions on that. We also will uh, email you a course evaluation. And we ask you to complete that immediately after the podcast should pop up in a browser window automatically one or one to three minutes to complete max your feedback is very important to us so take a moment to complete that. But we are absolutely here to help and we want your questions if you have questions just let us know i'll be watching the question uh, boxes things occur and we will respond the best I can or we will uh, defer and say look I have to. To, to take that offline and answer later, but I will be watching those as we go. Uh, we're happy to explain things more than once or show a different example. And if you've got some experience, we'd be happy to have you share your experience, knowledge, and insight. And if there's technical issues, please use the chat or Q&A functionality to ask for help, and we'll do our best to uh, take care of that. So all the product names, logos, and brands are properties of their respective owners. This uh, webinar is for educational use only, and we have licensed artwork and images from Flat Icon, Unsplash, and others. So I think that said, then we are ready to roll. And again, Nick, I appreciate you being along today. Let's start off with just a little bit of background information for you, because it is clear that the financial sector staffing shorter shortage is having a major impact on accounting firms. I think the saddest statistic uh, I received from a long-term client this year 
was that they had commonly had no more than four to five percent staff turnover in any given year. And that was okay because many of those people weren't going to work out. But this year they had a 54% turnover rate. It was devastating. I asked if they'd done anything different in their management style and, you know, had done anything that would have caused people to leave. And they said, no, it was really the factor that remote work now allowed uh, firms in large cities to recruit people in smaller cities where the compensation was typically less, allow them to offer a much higher wage, which was still below their market rates in the bigger cities. And a lot of people to continue to work from home. Uh, all of a sudden, turnover became kind of rampant. Now, according to Bloomberg Tax, and by the way, the links in these uh, presentations are available. So I'm just going to actually pick this Bloomberg tax uh, example. So you should be able to take a read on these. And there are some very interesting statistics in the supporting articles that we have cited. But according to Bloomberg tax, audit, accounting and auditor employment has dropped 17% from the 2019 high of 1.964 million in the United States. The turnover rate is double normal. And since 2020, ENY has spent more than $2 billion to increase salaries and provide bonuses and other perks to attract and retain staff. Regular, regulators at the PCAOB see the high turnover rate as an emerging audit risk. That's pretty interesting numbers. Now, other organizations that I'm involved with are reporting increases in the number of people being employed. That's a good thing. They are actually finding people, uh, sometimes up to 7%, but the salaries are also increasing 10% and more. So they're seeing notable cost increase while trying to ramp up and retain people and so forth. Now, the AICPA uh, put out a trend report, and 2019 was the most uh, recent version of this that we could find. But this 2019 uh, trends report basically notes a 7% uh, decrease in accounting graduates in 2018. Now, this accounting grad decrease has been uh, a trend for a very long time. And there's been much efforts to try to increase the number of accounting grads. But what is happening is we're really headed into and probably are now in the eye of a very difficult storm uh, where the number of new accountants is dropping while the demand is increasing. And of course, uh, again, we think it's kind of a perfect storm situation. So, uh, you know, as we see this, then this financial sector staffing shorting is also impacting employees. Now, according to a, a, an article from accounting tests, and let me just uh, pull this one out, that many of our staff are getting unmanageable workloads. They report about a third in their report. But notice the, they think there's an unreasonable workload due to vacancies. Now, I don't know what your expectation is in your firm. I generally try to have uh, people within my NMGI business working in the 42 to 46 hour range. But I know at times our loads get heavier. But I really don't like to see people working excessive hours. And I, I've got all sorts of book references I can point you to as why I think that's 
a better way of managing the business. But they also, in the survey, report that their workload is adversely impacting their mental health. So 78% of the accountants surveyed in the UK report have noted burnout symptoms since the start of 2022. Now, I had the good fortune of speaking for an HR uh, SHRM certification course earlier in the year. And uh, this result with that group was the same as we see reported here. 22% of HR and people professionals surveyed are unable to hire anyone in the previous three months. Just a tough go. So, Nick, I'm going to actually call you in here for a minute. And if you don't mind, uh, you can turn on your camera and we'll kind of talk things through here for a little bit, because I'd like to leverage your expertise along the way. Uh, you know, obviously, you've had good success uh, running your operation for quite a number of years. Uh, what are you seeing along the way? It's certainly been interesting is probably the easy way to say it in the last two years, Randy, from two aspects of it. The talent shortage is real. Um, I think that pre-pandemic, it was covered up um, by a lot of smoke and mirrors, if you want to call it that. We have always seen the trending numbers like you've showed um, going into university. I think the one thing that was propping up the industry in, in most countries that we operate, Australia, New Zealand, US, Canada, and UK, is immigration. And obviously during the pandemic, when the borders were closed, people couldn't immigrate into those countries. So it really escalated and showed the shortage. I think for many years, accounting firms and bookkeeping firms have not been focused enough on their people. They've been focused too much on their clients, potentially not doing the things they need to do to remunerate, to grow, to develop and maximize the human performance. So I think all of these things have, have come to light and people want flexibility. People don't necessarily want to work at home. They don't necessarily want to work in the office. They need flexibility to live life and be able to manage life outside of that. So I think there's been a range of factors. Um, there's certainly a lot of talent in, in different countries. It's just not typically in the Western countries at the moment. But when you're looking outside of it in the global environment, there's plenty of talent that want to do accounting. It's just not the traditional way, but... You know, I was, I was with a firm last week in Atlanta and, you know, they're a very well-known 100% remote company and they've lost 33% of their staff in the last 12 months. You know, and most would go, well, you know, they shouldn't have a problem attracting talent, let alone retaining it. But, you know, people need to feel connected. And I think that's the, the challenge with this new remote way of working or hybrid way of working is the, the connections of humans is you're no longer connected to the brand or the vision of the business when you're just sitting at home doing your own work and working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. So mm -hmm. I think there's a range of things we need to look at, but this shortage is only going to get worse. The next three years is going to be tougher, not easier. And I think it's about how do we really focus on our people? We've been having that message for the last six, seven years around people are, people are your number one asset. And I think now, firms are really starting to have to focus on that side of it. Yeah. So those are all nifty insights. I want to go back and revisit a few of them, but you can see why I referred to, you know, the eye of the hurricane storm, I guess you'd call that cyclones in your part of the world. But, you know, bottom line is we've been going through a pretty rough storm and we may see a little bit of a quiet period here, but it's going to get a lot more rough, as they would say, you're saying about three years. Uh, I've been saying maybe as many as five years, but I don't know that it will ever be 
maybe as good as it was. Further, something I think you may make me rethink my positioning, which is actually always healthy because, you know, I always learn from new people if I can just be quiet and listen to them for a while. But, you know, I've typically asked firms to focus on their clients, focus on their team, and then focus on what the bottom line dollars are to the partners. And I usually use those three elements as my way to manage things through. And, you know, your, your statement may actually say team experience and team culture and a lot of those things may be more important than, you know, the uh, client first focus, which has been my traditional way of thinking about the profession. Client first, support your team, and then, you know, let the chips fall where they may from a partner uh, perspective. That's pretty interesting stuff. And uh, clearly, Nick, this cultural thing of, all in the office, all hybrid, some sort of combination of coming in the office three days a week or having meeting days or something like that. We still don't exactly know how to manage these hybrid or remote cultures, almost certainly. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is that a lot of firms struggle to manage people when they're in the office, let alone when they're remote. And that's something that I think we need to look at moving forward is how. Yeah. And, you know, as I look back over 30 years or so of paperless and workflow, we were struggling how to manage things in the office. And, you know, that enabled some of this remote work. And, uh, you know, if we wouldn't have had them during the pandemic, oh, la, la. But, you know, this new way of uh, managing workload is going to be a big deal. Well, it should be time, I think, for our second question of the day. And this question is, I hope, straightforward. What tasks are accountants performing that are adding to their unreasonable workloads? Now, uh, for my attendees, as you think about this, the the responses are kind of long, so it may take you a minute to process these, but reconciling bank reconciling bank transactions across multiple companies, preparing monthly and quarterly man management reports, entering fact-finding information into CRM systems, reconstructing a share cost base history. There probably are more. So while you're thinking about that, Nick, are there other tasks that you see accountants performing on a regular basis? There's lots, Randy, to be honest. I think one of the ones that we always talk about is, you know, if you're a manager, you should be doing manager level work and what is manager level work. So we always talk about this framework, the right people doing the right work at the right time and at the right cost. And it's really about analyzing the roles that you've got within the business and, and really looking at is the work they're doing at the value of their charge out rate or, the, or whatever their time is. And a lot of the times we find firms have their, accounting team doing administration work or non-billable work or work that is of a lower value that they shouldn't be. But a lot of the time it's because of two reasons. One, they don't have the team to be able to do the work. So that person has to do the work. Or secondly, they don't have their systems and process and technology enabled to help them perform their role at level, what I call it level. So we often find that people are just not working at level. And, and that is the challenge where they're not getting the output. They're having to work the longer hours and, and it just continues to flow from there. Mm -hmm. Well, prior to our on-air time, on time together today, Nick, 
I've actually answered four different CPA firms with tasks that needed done. And I realized based on their, you know, response, they were just kind of inundated, even though we're outside of tax season. Uh, you know, one in particular, I think I had an upper level person doing a lower level task. And I just hate to see, you know, partners, seniors, managers doing, you know, staff and admin level work. So this is an unusual way to respond. And I appreciate those of you who have responded. I see that all of you have at least uh, entered an answer. And you know what? I'm being a little tricky with you today. A lot of times we have an all of the above. It turns out all four of these are correct answers. So if you struggled picking an answer, I was trying to get you to struggle. There are by uh, a nifty list that TOA Global has published on their website, 88 different tasks that accountants are performing. And I suspect there's more than those 88. And when we start thinking then about attracting and retaining talent, uh, there's some tricks here. Now, you know, uh, again, Nick, I suspect that you have some insight here on attracting and retaining talent. And I know one of the things that's a big deal is onboarding experience. Uh, you know, I pay very much attention to it in my uh, NMGI business, and I've actually had to onboard new team members this year because of retirements. Uh, so that was a little unusual for us because we've got we've been very consistent in our staff through the years. But what type of things about onboarding experience would you think our attendees would benefit from today? I think it's making it an experience. It's it's the first impression of the business and it's the first impression of how they're going to form part of where you're going. So a big part for me is really people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So really imparting what's your vision and mission and what's the purpose of the business? Where's it going and how do how does this new team member form part of the piece of the puzzle that's going to help the business achieve that? It's then also outlining all of the tools and, and um, I suppose, systems and process that you have that will help enable them to do the role. I see too many firm owners when they have a new team member start, they'll spend a couple of hours with them on the first day, maybe a couple after that. And then it's basically, here's the pile of files and here's the system and, you know, go and do your thing, good luck. As opposed to, you know, typically our six-month onboarding is a six-month onboarding process. It's not in you know, hours every day, but the first week, it's a whole week. And then it, then it titles down over a six month period, but it's a lot of overwhelm. Even if they are a manager or a senior accountant, they may not have ever worked the way that you work. They may have done it a different way. So I think that helping them to be successful, helping them to, you know, be set up for success is so critical in really mapping out that onboarding journey and making it one that, is also exciting. People want to be excited. They, I see too many people start new jobs and this excitement just ends because then they're overwhelmed with, oh, hang on, now I've just got to get into it. You know, the, the honeymoon of one day is over um, as opposed to it being, no, how do we keep them engaged and, and really support them? Because the quicker they get up and running, the more beneficial it is to us as firm owners. Yeah. And, you know, this is an interesting thing to think about it in a longer period of time because you are right. So many people do just a very short onboard. And, uh, you know, our onboarding experience really does last over a period of, uh, you know, months in our case also. 
And I recognize to our attendees that that sounds like an expense that's pretty high. But my bigger point is, how much did it cost you to hire that person? And how much would it cost you to replace that person? And, you know, if you've got the right person, don't you really want them to stay with you? So, uh, you know, that onboarding deal is a big deal. And, uh, you know, this whole culture of how you fit into your, uh, you know, your firm's plans and upskilling is also important because, again, before coming on the air today, I uh, got to hear the story of someone who left an organization that they'd been with for a long time. And they did it because the new ownership had basically stepped in and said, this is the way we're going to do things. And, you know, what you're doing doesn't work for us. So it was kind of a parting of ways, but they were very sad because they had a culture in the organization that became lost. And as firms are acquired uh, or merged, sometimes there's an onboarding experience that goes with the merging and acquisition of firms as well. So we think it's important to offer upskilling opportunities. You know, if you think about team members, they want to grow while they're on the job. They want to have new opportunities. They don't do the same thing over and over again. You know, as accountants, there are some repetitive tasks that we have to do. But fundamentally, don't most of us like to learn something new? So it is important, I think, to provide solid professional development plans along the way. So uh, some other tips that we think may play well for attracting and retaining talent is pay well. And I don't just mean in money, but, you know, provide time for recreation and make sure that you have a way to channel some restless energy and that you balance the workload. So, you know, part of the reason I've recommended workflow systems through the years is you could see that, you know, team member A versus B was overloaded versus underloaded and you can move things around. So um, consider all of these different elements. So Nick, again, are there other uh, tips that you've seen for attracting and retaining talent work well inside firms or in your own business? Yeah, I think the big one when I read, you know, job ads that are posted and I look at, you know, a lot of firms, I talk to a lot of firms, a lot of it is around them. It's about the partners. It's not about the purpose of the business. And it's certainly not about how do we provide our people with a career, not a job. And ultimately people want careers, whether that means that they, want to get to a senior accountant level and not progress further because they're happy with that or whether they have the path to partnership. People want to feel part of something bigger, but they also want to know what's in it for me. So I think that that culture of success is a key one. I think that, you know, people want to play with a, what I call A players. People want to be around successful people. People want to be around people that are carrying their load of work because when you've got people that are not successful or not doing their job well, someone else in the firm's having to carry their work. And one of the things that I always challenge firm owners with is why do you retain someone that isn't performing? And a lot of the time it's, well, someone's better than no one. And I said, but that someone is actually causing the rest of your high performing team to question whether they want to stay. And it's also causing them additional work because they're having to carry the workload of others. So I think it's a really about building a high-performing culture and focusing on that human performance.
Does that make sense, Randy? It does make sense. And, you know, as I'm listening to you unfold that, you know, the fact of the matter is that that person who's underperforming is actually dragging the whole team down, as you pointed out. And uh, one of the best things you can do is part ways with team members who are underperforming and part ways with clients who are dragging your firm down too. So, I mean, there's lots of reasons to do that. And sometimes that's, that might put fear in you, but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, you're better off. The clients are better off. Your team members are better off. Frankly, your profitability is better off too. So lots of important things along the way there. Well, that brings us, I think, to our next question. Uh, which of the following are ways to improve retention? Now, we didn't try to name them all for you, but we would just uh, suggest that making onboarding experience easy, providing professional development opportunities, balancing workloads, or all of the above might be answers. So we'll give you a moment to reflect on that. Now, um, Nick, have you discovered any other retention tips that you might like our attendees to know about? I think the main one is, is, is really having that career conversation with the team and really mapping out the next three, five, seven, nine years and what it looks like for that team member. Because I think it's so important that they understand the journey that they're on with your business but more importantly, what they need to do to continue to progress because it's a two-way streak. Yes, they need to be proficient, but what's the work that they need to do to be able to get to that next level? It could be leadership training. It could be how do I progress my skills because now I'm a, someone doing the work and moving forward, I want to be someone that manages the work. So how do I need, you know, develop those skills to be able to do that? And, and mapping out a career plan doesn't always go perfectly on time. But it could go quicker, it could go slower, but at least they understand the journey that you have in mind for them. Because if they don't, they're probably going to go and look for a job where they can get that progression if they're not getting it with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things I wish I'd learned earlier in my career is, you know, from the earliest formation of my first operation, we did annual reviews and you know we actually stepped that up to to semi-annual but today's world it's almost like continuous feedback is far more valuable and that i try not to actually tie reviews to compensation adjustments those two tricks really have helped me so continuous and not tying direct feedback to you know compensation cycles and that may sound a little contrarian but it seems to work well for us. So again, there's lots of tips out there on retention, but uh, for us today, I see most of you responded. So I just wanted to note that we think all three of the answers. So all of the above is probably a, a good answer here. So now, uh, you know, Nick, as we're starting to think this through, the title of today's uh, webinar is really to talk about capacity planning and talent acquisition and so forth. So, uh, you know, I know you're in the business of providing talent and, uh, you know, I'd like to have a, a more extended discussion now around what it means to figure out the capacity planning and actually get the talent acquisition right. And we believe that for some of you, you're going to be able to find your meet your talent needs inside your firm. In other cases, you're going to have to outsource. So, um, you know, some of the attributes that I think you need to look for 
is first, find someone with experience in your industry. So in this case, if you're accounting professionals, you need someone with accounting professional expertise. There are a lot of outsourcers out there that, you know, just try to be extra labor, if you will, as opposed to the right type of talent. In other words, having the skills of a senior or a manager or staff accountant. And it's also important to find someone that aligns with your values. Uh, you may not have thought about the values of your firm, but you've heard that Nick and I have already talked about cultural fit today. That it's important to understand the hiring and recruitment process. What did they do to find the talent for you and how's that all work? And that they are willing to meet with you to discuss your goals and develop a business plan. And we recommend that you find someone with a great reputation. Now, I'm going to say this as bluntly as I can publicly. Um, there are a wide variety of outsource providers that I think are not reputable. And those of you who know me pretty well know that I don't say things like that very often. Um, there are some people, some outsource providers that I would just have you stay away from their businesses at all costs. So when you're doing your um, recruiting of talent or you're recruiting an outsourcer, we ask you to be very cautious on that. By the way, I do the same thing on talent. If I think somebody's a really bad apple, they will not get an introduction from me to anybody else. Uh, you know, I do follow the grandma rule. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And so just recognize that I'll rarely criticize software providers, CPA firms, people, and, and so forth publicly. That's just not my style. But I want you to be aware here, you got to be real bloody cautious. So, um, Nick, you're probably laughing at me because, you know, here in the U.S., bloody doesn't mean anything, but you know what it means in Australia. <laughs> so, but that's my 99-year-old mom still coming through in my language. So, uh, in any case, uh, so, Nick, what might you suggest in these attributes? What do you think are critical, uh, you know, must-haves, avoids, and I'm going to kind of let you run for a minute and it it looks like by the way you've been having a little trouble with internet access we knew you were having some of that before you got started so camera off is not a big problem if it if it keeps you uh your voice steady excellent you know it's an interesting one with i suppose finding talent providers i think the first step is understanding randy what you need so what is the work that you need help with in firms most people when they come to us say look i need a senior accountant and the only reason they need a senior accountant is because they can't find one locally instead of looking at, well, what is the work that our current team are doing that we could push down that's more routine and mundane, that's more process driven, that we could push down to a global team. And I think that that's really one of the big focuses is what is the type of work should, that should be getting done by everyone within your firm? And then do you have enough people to be able to do that? I think when you're looking at finding a talent provider it's really understanding the model that they do there's different ways of outsourcing and what we call offshoring there's ways that you send a tax return to a company they send it back so they use their systems they use their process they use their people and then they send the work back to you and then there's other models which is more round which is the model we run which is we help firms to build teams 
that just happen to be in other regions. And those regions are Philippines, South Africa, and a range of others. So it's really around the longer term strategy. It's, it's not just a short term fix of I need to get the work out. It's like, how are we going to deal with our staff augmentation and our staffing longer term? And does a global team form part of it? So at the risk of interrupting your train of thought there, you know, something I think I'm learning from you is first off, instead of asking for, you know, talent by position, it may be time to rethink uh, what's being done by your existing team and maybe upskilling them for more complex work and, uh, you know, outsourcing or hiring to fit the lower skill work. I think that's one thing I just heard you say. And I think the second part of this might be how to figure out how much work is getting done and how to do the capacity planning on it. So did I hear those two things from you correctly? 100% Randy. And I think that's the big one is, is looking at what work your current team are doing that is below what I call their value per hour. Because a lot of the time they have the skills and they have the ability to progress into a senior role quicker than you hiring and training someone up. But a lot of the time we don't look within we just simply go, oh, we need more seniors. Let's go and recruit them. Oh, we can't find them locally. Let's go and find them offshore. But it's not going to solve that problem. It's still You're still going to have the wrong people doing the wrong work. So it's really looking at the type of work your people are doing. It really is looking at this people strategy as a longer-term strategy. So how do I build the right amount of people in my business to deal with capacity? Because the biggest challenge that we find is a lot of firm owners will say to us, look, you know, we don't need anyone else. We're, you know, we're, we've got enough capacity, we've got enough people. And then suddenly a week later, they'll come back and say, oh, look, we need another two people. It's like, well, what's changed? It's like, oh, we've got one client. And I'm like, well, you should be running at sufficient available capacity to be able to grow and manage the existing clients that you've got. But you should be looking forward as well to go, what's the capacity we're going to need in the future? Because yeah. you don't start hiring after the fact, you do it before the fact. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, in our business, we require almost 18 months of onboarding to have somebody up to speed, just to give you a flavor for our operation. But now in this particular case, do you not only have this level of work conversation, but do you actually look at how firms have, um, let's say, consumed hours in the prior year or two years to do your capacity planning? Uh, in other words, do you do a look back and a look forward or how, how do you do that? Yeah, we typically don't get into too much of the detail around the capacity planning. We look at like, what is the work they could? So I had a, a top 100 firm last week in the US and we're talking about the type of work that they're doing. And they turned around and said, look, Nick, we've got about a thousand of these, um, I suppose, P&Ls that we just need it to be reconciled. We just need it to be tidied up before our team can get into the tax work. And then we looked at, well, that is just one bit of work that we could get the global team to do is just that. And then your team can actually take the job from when it's ready to start as opposed to having to do the cleanup and then having to do the work. So it's, it's really just talking through what's your current workload, where are the bottlenecks at the moment, and then how do we continuously help, I suppose, build that capacity. Um, and then sometimes it is looking at process and, and, and fixing that as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, an interesting way to look at it. So for attendees, you know, just note that this capacity planning calculation, you could actually do it by looking forward and look, looking back and then looking forward. 
Um, you know, one of the ways we've tried to solve some of these things is with automation. You know, my hope and, and aspiration is over the next three, five years that automation will become sophisticated enough to solve it. It is starting to solve it a little bit. And interesting that you, uh, you know, mentioned reconciliation there, Nick, because I was reviewing a reconciliation product before we went on the air today, trying to figure out, okay, would this really pay its value out as an automation tool or is this still better as a manual process and you know many of you who know me to be a, a technology consultant think that I solve everything with technology and that is far from the truth as granddaughter in New York says that not be the plan grandpa that it that's not what we're going to do here we want to do things the smartest way possible and it sounds like listening to you Nick the smartest way possible is to get the people doing the right level of work because you get the most leverage on that the most rapidly. 100%. Yeah, very 100%. cool idea that I should have figured out earlier in my life. I, I mean, I've always talked about getting the right people doing the right level of work, but I hadn't thought about aggressively going back and saying, you know, this person's doing a level of work that somebody else could do. Can I give you an example, Randy, of something we find really challenging is partners. They sit in front of their computers for three to five to 10 hours a day, responding to emails, you know, managing their diaries, doing the work when you can have someone managing your world for you for, you know, a cost of one hour of billable time. Someone that could manage your emails, manage your diary and make you more efficient and effective. But yeah, so many people still sit in front of their computers, pushing emails around all day. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, and, you know, I would be somewhat guilty of that exact claim there, Nick. So <laughs> it turns out I do push a lot of those out and you are right, you know, with the right talent behind, that would be a very good thing. Are there other attributes that you should be looking for in providers? You know, we've listed some other ones like values and, uh, you know, business plans and so forth, but what other attributes are you think real key or real showstoppers? I think the one that's real key is having someone local. So if they have people in Vietnam or the Philippines or India or South Africa or Central America, it's having your local contact. So we've always um, over-indexed in having teams in the countries where we operate. So we're in Fort Worth in Texas, we're in San Diego. You need someone there that can talk to you and understand your business in an in-depth way so that they can help you to, I suppose, enable what you are going to drive with the global team. What's the type of work? What's the support you need? So I think that's definitely a big one. And I think the second one is just, it's making sure that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of global teams. Like our 93% of our team members are office-based um, in South Africa and in the Philippines where we operate. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of what we call um, fake Companies, they, they say that they've got all these operations, but they're not legally set up in those regions to even employ people. They employ them on contracts. They're, they're through a shadow industry, so they're not really proper providers. And I think the danger with that is, is that their team members are not paying taxes local. They're, there's a lot of challenges that will come in the future for them. And it's just making sure that the, the standards of, of how they operate are at the level that they say they are. And, you know, a quick Google search would would easily show you 
whether or not they will, but there are a lot of good providers out there. I know that there's a lot of bad ones. There are in many industries, but um, there's plenty of good providers. And, and I think it's just finding one that you can work with and, and that you can help you be successful. That's the key part is that if you're not successful with it, then it'll just turn into a lot of time invested for no, for no reward. Yeah, understood. Now, the local time uh, view is pretty interesting because in my own uh, operation, I've run uh, asking people to come to the office early, stay late, depending on their family circumstances. That's worked out super for many of them. So we can cover all of the Eastern through Honolulu time zones in business hours. And, uh, you know, one of the advantages uh, at times to the outsourcing mechanism is you actually have people working in alternate time zones that can complete work for when you're back in the office and whatnot. So, you know, as I'm thinking about our workloads and capacities, uh, some very interesting ideas to consider. So, well, I think it might be time for an additional question. So let's do that if we could. So using a talent team provider can reduce payroll administration work, reduce vacancy times, allow the right work to be assigned to the right person, or all of the above. So as our attendees are reflecting on their answer here, Nick, any other um, final thoughts on, you know, talent team providers, special warnings, special suggestions? I think the first thing that I generally say to people is don't go in with the mind frame that most people do when they're outsourcing, that it's, you know, sweatshops, it's, you know, offshore work quality is lower, that IT is not as as good as it is locally and there's risk. When we look at most of these providers, and I know for us, for certain, our IT and infrastructure is far better than anyone's I've ever seen locally, um, you know, the quality of work is significantly higher than it is in the output. The I suppose the production, the productivity rates are higher typically in these global centers because they have a different work style. Um, but typically, a lot of it comes down to a firm system process and how they run their business. And that really amplifies either the good or the bad when you start putting in a remote and global team. Um, if you don't have good process, that's amplified when you're trying to manage someone remotely, which we've probably felt through the pandemic anyway. Yes, that's an interesting insight uh, since I've had the good fortune of being in, oh, not that many, but about 50 CPA firms a year for 40 years. Uh, the most common issue that I've found in firms consistently are broken or non-optimized processes. And, uh, you know, I've always claimed that a business is its processes and many of our accounting firms don't have very well nailed down processes. So I think that gets us to a response that I think all of the above is correct uh, out of these. And I see that all of you had answered that. So that's all good. So now, uh, Nick, I'd like to turn my attention a little bit to your uh, TOA global business, because I think there's some things that you have built with your operations that I'd just like to highlight. And for my attendees, what I'm trying to get you to do is listen to the attributes here, because when you're looking at any sort of talent uh, provider, uh, these attributes are ones that I think pretty much all should have. I mean, I'll call some in and out here as, as we go. But um, when you choose to outsource or offshore some of your labor load, uh, there's 
some attributes here that uh, TOA might use to help you build your team. So, uh, Nick, I'll kind of let you speak to this if you could for a minute. Thanks, Randy. So I think the first one is it's really around outsourcing is not just accounting or bookkeeping work. It's about how does your firm get the right people that it needs for large firm? That's a range of things like HR, IT support, uh, marketing. For smaller firms, it might be administration, it might be accounts, it might be bookkeepers. It's really around how do you get the right people in the organ in your organization at the right time? And for a lot of people, they start with the accounting and they start with the bookkeeping, but then they move to the other roles that they have within their offices. The big one around bank level security and other leading technologies is a lot of people have this myth around outsourcing is not secure. There's a higher risk. Most of the time, the offshore team will use your systems and process. So they will dial into your infrastructure from a remote location. The level of security within our offices, though, is phenomenal. And, and you know, I could talk all day about that, but, you know, bank level security, um, security guards, no ability to print, no ability to save things, no ability to be able to work outside of our infrastructure. They can only work during the hours that are at, they're at our offices. The other part is this helps you connect with regionally trained talent. And I think that the big one here is that the world is a, is a, a large place. There's a large amount of talent. And to give you an example, we put up a, a job out in South Africa two days ago for an, a senior audit role. We had over 500 applicants in 24 hours. In the Philippines, we get on average 3,000 applications a month for 250 roles. So there's a huge amount of talent globally. Although we're struggling locally, there is a large talent pool. It also is a fact of there is a cost arbitrage. It's not a reason to build a global team, but that enables and helps you to actually pay your local team slightly above market. Pay is an important thing. If we look at every survey, and, and Randy, you put up a lot of stats earlier on about pay is important. It's not the reason people will stay, but it's a contributing factor. So if you can pay the best people, the best salaries, you've got a better opportunity of retaining people. And by using this cost arbitrage of global talent, it enables you to put a little bit more money in the pockets of your local team and focus on growing them at a faster rate so that they do have a career with you as opposed to just having a job. Yeah, you know, I'm smiling as you say that, Nick, because one of the tricks that I began using 20 years ago was I just decided I was going to pay 20% above market kind of no matter what. And that has helped me retain people. And frankly, people aren't having to worry about, you know, I'll say making ends meet uh, as much as many of the competitors and they can't understand why the people just stay with us. They just don't leave. You just told them now, Randy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't mind tipping the kimono or opening the kimono here every once in a while, you know, tipping the cards. <laughs> well, how about, uh, you know, what you do to manage outsourced talent here then, Nick? Yeah, so a big thing is obviously we we manage the team member when they're working in our remote locations, if you want to call it that. So they're working in other regions, other countries. They, in 93% of the cases, are working in office. We do have some clients that want them to be remote. Um, but we manage that whole employee experience. We manage the HR, the IT, the, the wellness side of it. We have... Um, you know, full-time doctors and, and nurses within our offices. We have, you know, 100-seat cafes within our offices. So our role is to to take away that 
really the people experience and HR components and IT and managing the people part so that you can just focus on the process, the systems and getting them to be effective and maximizing their human performance. Um, and that's what we're able to do globally through different regions and different countries to be able to provide the best access to talent. Um, so all of that engagement reward, all the fun stuff. But ultimately what we do say to our clients is that these team members are part of your team. You've now just got an office in another country. So they need to be embedded into your culture. They need to feel part of your firm and where you're going and growing as a business. They need to be part of that. We also have career development opportunities for all employees. So every single team member is on a professional development plan, which you obviously spoke about earlier, Randy, as being a key attribute. So everyone does um, the compliance training they have to, refreshes on things like Privacy Act. Um, they then do success skills. So how do we help them to communicate and grow into the roles they need? If it's becoming a leader, then they need leadership training. And then it's technical skills. It's how do we maximize the output of them technically? And one of the big ones we do training on is software because we typically find that most people are good at software. They're not great. And you can make people super users, which saves about 15 to 20% of their time by showing them the ins and outs of the technology, not just a high level overview training of the tech. So for us, it's around how do we maximize the performance of our team members so that they can give you the output so that you can focus on maximizing the experience that your clients have with you. Yeah, so Nick, your stat falls in line with survey stats that I've done and observations in firms too. The training of your people, and in your case, the people that are working for TOA Global, but for those of you in your firms, if you train more, you drive out soft costs and you use 15 to 20%. And I usually observe somewhere between eight and 25%. So it's a big deal. And I apologize for the ICT instead of IT uh, piece. You'll appreciate I fly out of Wichita Airport. So when I see ICT, I just don't worry about it too much. <laughs> I do know what IT is. So uh, pretty interesting. That it's one of those things I just didn't catch in review. All right. So uh, let's turn then our attention for a minute. Uh, why your company of TOA Global is more than just a talent provider. So big thing is that we help firms to maximize the human performance of people. And we've built what we call the Toa Global Galaxy is our ecosystem of tools and technology. And the main one that we help our clients with is one called Atlas, which is a people performance platform. So it's really around how do I help maximize and understand how to grow my team member to give them a career. So it has their learning progress. It has their you know holiday requests. It has everything you need to be able to manage a team member we're building within what we call Atlas. And, and a big part of that is that, you know, we have our financial systems, we have all these other systems, but we don't actually have a system to help maximize human performance and to manage our people. So we've obviously built that into it. Um, we obviously do the payroll and, and, and all the other systems around it. But for us, technology is a great enabler of our people. And it's a big differentiator because we've built that tech, we've invested in, in, in that so that our clients can maximize what they're getting out of with their team members. We've also built some cool tools. I mean, our data engineers um, last year predicted 90% of our attrition they were able to predict based on our um, technology. So we run models now that can predict where people are not going to stay in their roles 
And that's around things like engagement. It's around progress, progression. So we've got a very sophisticated data team that can now basically go, you know, Randy hasn't been happy for the last three months. He's not doing his training. He's not as productive and effective as he used to be. He's at risk of leaving. Um, so we're now starting to get a lot more sophistication in our analytics team to help our clients to say, look, we noticed you're not engaging with Randy. You're not having regular conversations. His, you know, his satisfaction and happiness has been declining month on month. How can we help teach you how to manage him better? So it sounds like in that case, I'm, it's about time for me to be out of here. <laughs> thank, thank you for that insight. I didn't know about those parts of your systems. And so this is probably a good time to have our uh, last question of the, the day. Uh, how can TOI Global help you grow your firm by managing the HR aspects of your global talent team to help you connect with a qualified team member to fill your vacancies? to improve the AP and AR processes or all of the above. So Nick, while our uh, attendees are thinking about that, any parting thoughts that you'd like to make sure that everybody knows? We'll have just a few cleanup things after this question. Yeah, look, I think accountants and bookkeepers, we're privileged to be able to serve the small businesses and medium businesses globally. And we make such an impact. And I think that a lot of the times we get caught up in our work that we forget the impact we make to our clients and communities. And it's really around how do we focus on running the most effective and efficient business and, and getting the right people doing the right work at the right time. And we ultimately add the right cost so that you can really serve and help the businesses that you serve, because we know that the impact that they make on the communities where they operate. So, you know, don't ever forget the impact we make as accountants and bookkeepers but ultimately, the more you can run your team to be more client-focused, the way you get there, in my opinion, Randy, and I know that you mentioned this earlier, is to be driving the human performance and be focused on your people because they will ultimately be the ones that help you to enable that success with your clients. Yeah. Good insights today, Nick, from you for that. And nice to learn a little bit about you know, how you've been able to build your team. And I think it looks like most of you have responded here. So at that case, then I think the best answer today is all of the above. So in these last couple of minutes we have together, uh, I just like to mention that, you know, we've talked a little bit about the staffing shortage in the financial sector and how to attract and retain talent uh, and how to look at an, a talent team provider that best fits your firms and then how TOA Global uh, helps your firm build a global team and navigate a lot of these talent shortages. There's much benefit uh, to this. I agree 100% with Nick. Part of the reason I love teaching accountants of all kinds is the impact they have on the businesses that they assist. And, uh, you know, it sounds like this might be even a way to get greater leverage. Now, we know that you uh, like to learn new things, but you also like to get your CPE credit. So for today's podcast, it's super simple. Most of you have answered the questions. You're in good shape. But if not, you can take a short five-question quiz. The completion certificate will be uh, delivered for my K2 business. You can get the materials we use today. And uh, again, if this is your first podcast that you're listening to, use the code ONEFREEPODCAST to uh, earn the credit. You will also find that our uh, CPE Today platform 
broadcasts on YouTube. Uh, we have a presence on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can listen to the show anytime, streaming it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and more. Nick, thank you for getting up and being with us early today and for your expertise. And uh, we wish you continued success. We also thank all of you who attend today, and we look forward to seeing you on another CPE Today podcast. Thanks for uh, being with us, and we'll see you again in the near future. Good day.